podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. What a fantastic goal that is from Derby! It's Groundhog Day again. Yes, hello and welcome to Steve Bloomer's Washing, the independent Derby County podcast. We're back for more Rams analysis as Derby ushered in the post-Philip Koku era, but it still felt like more of the same. An eighth defeat in our first 12 games means Derby remain rooted to the foot of the championship and are now three points from safety. Hopefully Sheikh Khalid hasn't got cold feet because right now his new regime and the change of management which will come with it are what our club are desperately crying out for. I'm Chris, hello. And it's a full house on the pod today. Tom's here, you all right? All good, thank you. Anton has joined us, welcome. Hello, you all right? And Richard couldn't help himself either. How are you doing? Why a derby like this, Chris? I don't know why. <laughs> don't know how we're going to get through this. That's hopefully what we're going to discuss. Don't forget, Steve Bloomer's Washing has partnered for the season with Derby Brewing Company, Derby's original craft brewer so give them a follow and support them in these difficult times difficult times leads me neatly on to bristol city one derby county nil no manager no attacking threat no optimism right now especially against a team who had one and a half days training this week due to a covid outbreak and we still couldn't score uh there did seem a clear desire for large parts in derby's latest defeat but that chronic embarrassing lack of cutting edge and a failure to turn possession into actual dominance once again saw us fail to create any clear openings leading to that inevitable sucker punch just like against QPR and Barnsley and Luton, Huddersfield and Watford. Our team selection once again raised a few eyebrows. Uh, the first one from Derby's temporary Rue Senior management team. That's what I'm going to call them for however long this lasts. Um, Poor. <laughs> are Wayne and or Liam serious contenders for the permanent manager's job as Derby's new Abu Dhabi owners edge closer to that takeover? Uh, we'll look back on the Philip Koku era as well. Uh, and at times, frankly, bizarre 16 months, to be honest, where Derby's first foreign manager eventually left with one of our worst ever win percentages in recent times, uh, but still seem to have not that much bad feeling from Derby's fan base. Why exactly was that? Uh, but in the here and now, boys, uh, it's another desperate, almost inevitable defeat this season. And we have got a bit of a patchy record at Ashton Gate, if memory serves, but that didn't make this the eighth game in 14 in all comps where we've failed to score any easier to take. Um, according to one statistician on Twitter, no team has scored fewer goals after 12 games than Derby since the second tier became the championship in 2004. Uh Anton, I genuinely didn't think we were really that bad overall at times against Bristol City, apart from in the final third, obviously. We may have been hoping for that interim new manager bounce, but the bottom line is we didn't really get one, did we? No, not at all. I mean, as you say, I I don't think we were that bad, but I I think the best I could say is that it was probably marginally better than it was in the last few games. We we looked perhaps a, a little quicker on the ball a little bit more confident in our passing we were getting the ball forward a little bit quicker and 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 it was a little bit zippier certainly in the kind of defensive and midfield positions but the the real issue was in the final third once again we just didn't look like creating any chances that the final ball was was really poor whether that was our our crossing or 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 three balls which were, were fairly non-existent we weren't getting enough men into the box and once again, we just didn't create any clear-cut chances. Uh, I think we had two shots on goal. Expected goals were again below one. Um, I think that's the only time we've we've had an XG of over one this season, I think, is Blackburn, which is a really worrying stat. Um, <laughs> I mean, you can't expect to score goals if you're not creating good chances. And we, we were getting in good areas, but just didn't look like we had any ability to to 
create those, those chances, get men into the box. And, and we just didn't look like scoring throughout the whole game, despite dominating the ball. I, I don't think it was any better than 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 this than most of the games this season. I think it was kind of a middle of the road performance for what we've had this season. Was it better than QPR and Barnsley? Yes. Was it better than Forest? No. Was it better than Bournemouth? Probably not. Was it better than Norwich? Maybe going forward, but probably not because we won that game away at Norwich. This Bristol City team, we could not. Rooney and Rosinia and Shea Given and Justin Walker and however many other coaches are involved in this conglomerate I could not have asked for an easier game. As you said, Chris, they've had one and a half days training. Their training ground has been closed. Um, Bristol City were, were crap. Uh, let's be honest, they, they were crap. Like a lot of teams we played this season, they were crap. And yet Derby still managed to lose the game because there's nothing going forward. There's, there is zero creativity at the moment in that team. Dwayne Holmes playing number 10 is a horrendous decision. I've got no idea what they see in him as a number 10. He can be an effective player playing possibly in a midfield free. He can maybe do a job out wide if you need him, but he's not a number 10 and that's not his fault. He's getting played out of position. I, I just thought it was it was worrying uh, worrying all round. No, no change from, from the last few games and uh, the sooner we get a proper manager, the better. Tom, one of the most concerning parts is that our only win this season has come against a team who are now top of the league in Norwich. We took a point off Bournemouth, who are right up there as well. And Reading, who obviously turned us over on the opening day, came out the traps this season absolutely flying, but have now just lost four in a row, conceding 13 in the process. There's no standout team in this division. It's a bang average championship, as people have pointed out, and we're still bottom of it. Just how concerning is that in the long term? It's extremely concerning. Over the last few pods, I've tried to be as positive as possible with it, um, but I didn't see any change from uh, Koku's reign yesterday. Uh, there, there needs to be a big revamp with this ta- uh, team because no team is good enough to stay up just based on the players. And on the players we've got on the pitch and that are coming off the bench, we are not playing anywhere near good enough to finish fourth bottom at the moment. And we are deservedly at the bottom of the league um, and are in real danger with the fixtures coming up of being cast adrift. As you say, Chris, no team is is particularly outstanding this season with us having beaten top of the league Norwich and got a point at Bournemouth and have been close to other sides. But we need to start actually getting on the right side of some results and start creating some chances. And it comes back to an age-old argument for me, Chris Martin. We haven't got a focal point up front and so it's really difficult to move up the pitch because Waghorn doesn't hold the ball up enough and bring people into, into play so as a result, the ball goes forward, we lose it too quickly and the ball is then back back to us. So as a result, our passing goes side to side and we have no penetration. And I, I'll come back to it again. The biggest mistake that we've made in the last six months is not giving Chris Martin a new contract. I think it's a little bit harsh to pin all of the, the blame on kind of the, the striker in, in, in Waghorn. I, th- I think it's a, a little bit deeper than that because I, I, I think the, the selections in both the wide positions and, and the kind of central midfield positions mean that we, we just don't pose much threat going forward. Jason Knight is completely wasted out wide. He's shown how good he can be centrally, um, but he just looks a shadow of, of, of himself when he's playing in, in those wide positions. He's not a natural winger. He, he's can't cross the ball like a, a natural winger should. So we should be playing him as a number eight where you where can win the ball, create those driving runs and then give it to a, a more creative player. Then you look at the the midfield three. When I when I see a midfield three, I, I always think you need a, a kind of defensive player, whether that's kind of Bird or Bielik, uh, a, a kind of ball carrier um, who can who pick, pick up the ball and then be box to box, the kind of typical number eight, which you, you can probably look at, at kind of Jason Knight or Dwayne Holmes. And then you need a, a, a creative number 10 who can pick a pass and really create those opportunities. We didn't have that at all yesterday. Um, Dwayne Holmes, as, as Kutch said, is, is not that kind of player. I don't think Jason Knight is that kind of player either. I think the only player in in the squad at the moment who who fits that role is probably Louis Sibley and and he's not been given the chance that um, he he should over the last few games in my opinion and he's the one that can unpick a defence and and create those chances which have just been lacking over the last few games so I think that the kind of setup is is almost there but the personnel that that's filling it um, isn't working at the moment. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree with a lot of what Anton said there. And I, I would definitely want us to say yesterday was definitely seemed like a more of a 4 2 3 1. And there's not a huge amount of difference between a 4 2 3 1 and a 4 3 3. But I think it needs to be a 4 3 3 with a maybe it's be that I think Bird could maybe do that job as the deep 
defensive uh, defensive midfielder, but I think Bielik is probably the best suited to that. And then it's about definitely Jason Knight is the first te- name of the team sheet, in my opinion, in those one of those other two midfield positions. And then it is probably between Sibley or, or Bird, if, if Bielik's playing, or, or Rooney um, in, that, in that third midfielder role. Jason Knight is completely wasted out wide. I felt really sorry for him. He, he tried to beat his fullback a few times and, and that's not really his game from a standing start. He's great at beating players a bit like Dwayne Holmes when he's breaking forward from from deep uh, and carrying the ball. He's really good at that. But in terms of standing up the centre-back and beating him, uh, standing up with the fullback, sorry, and beating him, it just isn't his game. So I just thought they got the... They got the lineup all wrong. And look, I, I'm, I'm being extremely harsh on Rooney and Rossini. I don't think they're the right people for the job. I would just say, you know, mitigating factor, they have only had a week, right? And half of the and half of the squad was on international break. I mean, Bristol City had one and a half days, but they only have had had a week. But Middlesbrough midweek is is, is a tough game, so um, they, I think they needed to get a win yesterday if they were going to stand a chance to to take the job on. But I know we'll talk about that a bit more later, Chris. But you, you, I mean, you've said, you've said they. They've only had a week, which is completely valid. You can't really get too much tactical stuff across it in a week. But personnel-wise, they should know which players are suitable yeah, for each yeah, role. Totally. Um, and, and I think they got the team selection wrong yesterday. I can understand that the, the tactics might not be exactly what they want, but um, they should know um, the qualities of, of each player in that lineup. And it didn't really look like the case yesterday. This comes back to something that Ryan said uh, on the last pod about you can see their Derby 11 and then they could be playing in three or four different systems. I think we have a lot of players who we rate quite highly, the likes of Bird and, and Knight and, and Holmes at times. Um, and you go, what is actually their best position and how do we get those players in there into that into that 11? And sometimes some of those players are going to have to be left out. I mean, for me, I don't see a position for Rooney in the first 11 at the moment. Uh, I think Bird, Bird or Bielik should be starting ahead of him at the sort of bases in the defensive sort of area, as as you said, Anton. But I think there's still questions over over who could play in the midfield to get the best out of it. It's not necessarily the best three players. We're almost trying to shoehorn those players into the system and into the shape, and it, it's not working at the moment. I think there needs to be some high-profile players who are maybe left out, and it, it given to the the youth and the, the younger players, perhaps, as you say, something like a Bird, Knight, Sibley midfield three, Whitaker out on the right-hand side, Lawrence out on the left or Yuzviak on the left and then Waghorn through the middle. So yeah, I think there needs to be some really bold decisions made uh, on uh, through midweek against Middlesbrough. Um, and I, I just, I don't have the confidence of Rooney and Rossini doing that. Yeah, I think you've, you've absolutely hit the nail on the head there, Tom, in, in terms of alluding to square pegs in round holes. And we're going to talk about how likely Rossini or Rooney are to, to be in the running for the for the main job. But I think Rooney could have could have done his, his chances a massive favour by having the, the the wherewithal to take himself off in that game or not start himself. Um what I was going to get to this later, but in terms of Derby's best eleven, Anton, you've you have you have put forward a few thoughts there. Um Rossini doesn't seem to know it. Rooney doesn't seem to know it. Koku didn't seem to know it. I'm interested in, in your in, in your boys' take on on what our shape in eleven is when everyone is available. Because I think for me, it comes down to a couple of things. I would say the midfield three there is is so key. It's so important. And you said, Anton, that about the functions that are needed in that three. And you're completely right. You need a carrier, you need a tackler, you need a passer. And I think if it's Bielik, Knight, and Bird. I think you tick a lot of those boxes. For example, you set up it as a 4-3-3. You have Bielik at the base. I know there's questions about his fitness, but when he's available, you have Bielik at the base. And then when we're defending, Bielik slots in as a third centre-back to defend set pieces, uh, to defend crosses for that solidity. Then Bielik can be the out ball. He can, be, um, he can protect Davis and Clark. Then you've got Knight, who is so good in, in that transition, in that immediate phase, getting us up, the, up 50 yards up the pitch in a few seconds, like against Norwich, against other teams. And then you've got Birds to try and pick the lock, to try and play that ball forward and be the link to the front three. So that's that would be my take on it. Has anyone got any advances on, on that three and how that would affect the, uh, the, the three players in front of them? 
Yeah, I'd like to see. I'd like to see that given the chance. I think that's kind of where I was going. If they're all fit, Bielik, uh, Knight, and Bird, I think you do. You do a bit concerned with the age profile of those three players. They're all very young. I think that would be a concern for a midfield. I think let's not forget Graham Shinney, who's been one of the better players uh, in the last kind of four or five games. I think it was very harsh for him to have been dropped. So I think actually Shinney c- could come into the conversation as as in the Bielik position or as or as one of those three as well. I don't see a place for Wayne Rooney in, in a midfield three or or a midfield two at all. I do think there's an argument for Wayne Rooney to return to the number nine role. I thought he, in that game against Norwich, and there's a couple of games after it as well. I think it was the Bournemouth game. He played more up top and he actually did have some luck in kind of holding the ball up and bringing players into play and, and winning free kicks, kind of doing a, an impersonation of Chris Martin. So I actually think Rooney's role could be there. I do not think it's in the midfield. And then and then the, the wide players, I think, pick themselves. It's probably Lawrence and Lawrence and Juzvek would be the number one uh, choices out, out wide. But I think there are. I think you can piece together that midfield three. I think Louis Sibley could also be in that conversation. Often we seem to play him a bit too far forward, perhaps. And actually, he might have more influence on the game and carrying the ball like a knight and, and bringing more players in with his passing and shooting if he played in in that midfield three a bit deeper yeah well we do need to talk about Rooney again really and it's a conversation that we've had we have had before because I think for me whenever he does play as that deep lying midfielder he just slows our play down so much and makes us so easy to read and defend against because you, you look at the way we play yesterday when Rooney gets on the ball and he gets on the ball a lot because players like Bird and other players around him almost defer to him. They always look to give the ball to him as the captain and with his reputation and as one of the senior players. But he always wants to take a touch, always wants to get his head up, always wants to look for that defence-splitting Hollywood ball. And it it almost never works. Sometimes he gets tackled because he takes too long on the ball. Sometimes the ball gets telegraphed. Some other times the ball doesn't work. Like What Rooney is trying to do in that position is, is, just, is not coming off it's coming off so little that it just doesn't seem worth it. And also when he does get in that position and he takes so much time, it just gives the opposition so much time to get back into their shape to say, right, go on then, break us down. And we can't. And when you combine Rooney's slowness with the fact that there is no target man, no focal point, I feel those are just the key areas that just make our attacking play just so predictable and easy to defend against right now. Yeah, I definitely agree that he's, he's taking a little bit too long on the ball. I, I don't think anyone can doubt his his passing ability, but defensively, he's not good enough in, in that defensive midfield role. If, if we choose to only play one deep-lying player in those midfield three, which I think is, is probably the wise decision to, to make our attacking player a little bit more creative, it can't be Rooney because he's, he's not mobile enough and he's not good enough defensively. It has to be a, a Bielik or a Bird in that position. So I would agree with you you guys and, and say that he, he just doesn't fit in that midfield three for me. Um, I I think there is an argument, as you say, Kutch, that he could play that number nine role. Um, but outside of that, I, I don't think he gets in this team. This has all been bad, but one of the, one of the funny moments against Bristol City was when Rossini, uh passed a written note to Rooney on the pitch. Uh, and there's, I mean, the, the jokes were just too easy, really, weren't they? There's like pictures <laughs> of Rooney stood there with wisdom, looking at a piece of paper uh, and just looking a bit puzzled. It's, yeah, look, it's a bit mean, but we are where we are. We need a bit of light relief. So we just asked you for your shout. Your Your shout. shout. (laughs) What did the note say? What did it say on that piece of paper? It has some great responses. Laura, I think it's Laura on Twitter. uh, She said, the note said, I wasn't sure how to tell you, but we owe Rebecca Vardy £23,000 so far. Love, Kelly. <laughs> um, Chris Richards, he said, the note said, Dear Wayne, not so easy, is it? Love, Phil. David Walton, he said, uh, the note said, from Liam Messina saying, if you still want the job, it's yours. I'm going back to Sky. Um, <laughs> Woolly Ram said, the note says, the goal is the thing with the white posts and the net. Pass it on. <laughs> um, ben Mepstead said, the note said, I don't think the shake will like this. LR. Nav Sidhu, regular listener, he said the note said rock, paper, scissors for who does the post-match interview, Wayne. Love LR. <laughs> um, a couple more. Clarky said on Twitter, medium turkey, roast potatoes, onion sauce, parsnips, Brussels sprouts, pack of crackers, <laughs> bucks fizz and a trifle. <laughs> and just finally, Sam Bunce, he said the note said 
chicken boona, lamb boona, prawn boona, mushroom rice, <laughs> bag of chips, keema naan and papadums. Um, yeah. That I was... mean, it might be, it's, we're laughing, right, Chris? And it's very funny. I'm glad our listeners have, have done all that for us. But it might as well have said that because the last 10 minutes of the match were an absolute joke. I mean, Wayne Rooney's standing on the halfway line and taking about 10 seconds each time to punt a pretty crap ball into the box. So to, to, to be honest, towards absolutely nobody was was what summed up the, the shambles of this management foursome, which has never existed before in the game. And I've got no idea why the club think that suddenly putting four coaches in charge is the right thing to do when it's not happened before. Even the co-manager thing doesn't exist anymore because everyone realizes it's a flipping joke. So it's very funny, but the fact that you've got this co-manager situation with two complete novices, one of them is still playing and hasn't even got his coaching badges, sums up that, you know what, that note could have said any of that stuff and I wouldn't have been surprised. Well, Tom, we're going to get down to um, who's going to be next for the uh, through the revolving Derby County door into the hot seat. But I know you love dissecting defending for goals that Derby concede. Um, so <laughs> I'm going to unleash you on this one. It was a bit of a sucker punch, wasn't it? But at the end of the day, it, it, it did reek a bit of some of the goals we've conceded all this season, really. Men committed too far forward, switching off at a time when we just tried to, you know, where we just lost our shape for the sake of trying to get a goal. What went wrong for Bristol City's winner? We should have a little feature called Tomo's Dissection or something like that. But um, yeah, it's a goal kick. That's the thing that's ridiculous. It's a goal kick. And, and for once, Buchanan doesn't actually win the ball in the air. Like he's got a fantastic leap and a... I think it's Semenyo who leaps uh, higher than him. So Clark is then pulled out of position. Um, and that's when Buchanan switches off, unfortunately, and, and Semenyo runs past him. He just holds his run slightly, then, then he runs past him. And Buchanan looks to his right to go, where's Semenyo? But by that time, Semenyo's behind him, and then he's into the space, uh, and the ball goes down the line to him. And Buchanan realises his error, and he, he heads goalwards, uh, which is the right thing to do to try and cover the position where Clark has been pulled out of and Wisdom is having to then be pulled out of to close down Semenyo. Uh, unfortunately, he's not quite quick enough and uh, the ball goes to Diedu and uh, he is able to stick it away left-footed. Frustrating that it's a goal kick. It's the basic basic setup. The ball has bypassed six Derby players, five or six Derby players there uh, from the long goal kick. Nobody has then reacted to try and get back in and, and fill, fill a space. Even at the point when the ball goes into the net, there are Bristol City midfielders breaking through onto towards the edge of the box and, and they're, they're beyond the Derby midfield. Um, there but so it's just really frustrating as a it just seems like a really elementary error and uh Kutch was saying before the before we started recording it, it seems like the goal we've conceded 20 or 30 times this year it's just it's just getting embarrassing at some of the the basic sort of simple defensive shape and defensive things that you need to do we switch off for a moment and we're getting absolutely punished for it time and time again and that that is why we're bottom of the league unfortunately um, also, I thought from a Bristol City perspective, it just showed, you know, what can be achieved when you actually get men ahead of the ball or get men forward. Like they had two forwards occupying our centre backs, which is what essentially pulled them out of position. I think um, it was it was poor defending, but it was poor defending caused by Bristol City getting men ahead of the ball and into the box and and pulling people out of position. And that's exactly what Derby aren't doing themselves going forward. So deciding to learn from that, it's pretty basic stuff. But you know, Rooney and Racine need to have a look at that and think, okay, how can we get people ahead of the ball? into the box okay more in a second on steve limb is washing we're going to discuss who's going to be next through the door as derby county manager and we'll look back on the chaotic 16 month reign of manager philip koku don't forget you can subscribe to the podcast of course you can find us on apple podcasts spotify and soundcloud or wherever you get your pods Hi, I'm Dean Sturridge. Hi, I'm Paul Pesky-Solido. Hi, I'm Curtis Davis, and you're listening to Steve Bloomer's Washing. One or two gaps appearing, which will encourage Derby. Here's Dion Burton, now to Rigo. And there's Harper with the header, and he's scored on his full debut for Derby. Dreams do come true in football. And Kevin Harper, the young Scot signed from Hibs only six or seven weeks ago, has marked his first Premiership start with a splendid header to put a makeshift Derby team in front. So, yeah, Anton, you alluded to this in one of our recent podcasts, or on the verdicts, should I say, that the international break is traditionally a good time to get rid of a manager. Uh, lo and behold, that is exactly what happened around a week ago from the day of recording that uh, Philip Cocker was put out of his misery, relieved of his duties as Derby manager. We all talked about whether the payoff was worth it. Um, we're bottom of the league and cannot score a goal. So it was deemed that, that it is worth it. 
um, offset against the prospect of being in League One next season. So, Koku's gone. Um, how will you boys remember him? Would you say we've talked until the cows came home until how difficult he's had it at times in the first year of his reign. But look at it this way: his overall record was played sixty-five, won twenty-one, drew eighteen, lost twenty-six. And Philip Koku's uh, final win percentage was a thirty-two point three. Only Nigel Pearson and Paul Jewell had worse win percentages than Philip Koku. With that in mind, Anton, why is it exactly? Do you think that he has been he has been basically waved off and and has so little ill feeling towards him because on the field he's been one of our worst managers in recent history? Yeah, without a doubt. But I, I think unfortunately, what we'll remember this this time. When, when we look back on it in a few years, it's the off-field incidents that, that have ravaged the, the whole squad and, and the whole club since Koku joined. Um, it's been hugely unfortunate, but at the same time, the, the on-field displays haven't been good enough. And, and that's the real reason that Koku's um, time has come to an end, unfortunately. But we won't, we won't remember it for that so much. It will be the, the off-field incidents throughout the whole of Koku's reign um that that will remember um this era by the, the the one positive that we will look back on it for is the way that Koku has kind of revolutionized the the squad um he's reduced the age he's reduced the wage bill he's brought through an incredible amount of of talent from the academy and and that can only be a positive in the long run hopefully he's kind of set the foundations um very much in the same way that that Nigel Clough did all those years ago for someone to come in and and really kind of take us to the next level coach Anton's talks about the off-field stuff there do you think there's anything that Koku's side did on the pitch that you will remember I think I think probably anyone that stands out is the um, is the Louis Sibley hat trick. I really hope that's a that we, we talked about it, didn't we? Kind of post lockdown and in our season review at the end of last season, that's kind of the moment where you hope that Louis Sibley, particularly, and, and other the young players, can really kick on. I think that's probably the best thing that kind of symbolises the, the good stuff that he did on the on at the club, on the pitch, and at the training ground is is kind of bringing through and developing those young players further. I think we can sometimes maybe overestimate. Koku's role in that because let's remember that Darren Mossell, Justin Walker, uh, Pat Lyons, uh, and the other coaching staff have had a have had a big part to play in, in all those players developing into into really good uh, first team options. And and Koku has you know did have the bravery to play them and, and put them in, but they were developed by by other people. So let's not overplay Koku's role in that. Although I I do feel very sorry for Koku because I I think he will be and well he's proven he's a good manager because he's won the, the Eredivisie and and that that is not a, a hard league that is not an easy league to win. Um, I think he'll be a success somewhere else. Maybe he needs to go back to Holland to to do that um, before kind of resetting his managerial career because he's had two bad jobs in a row after Fenerbahce and Derby. Um, but yeah, I think probably the Louis Sibley moment would be the one that stands out. And, and what Anton kind of references a similar job to what Nigel Clough did. It took Nigel Clough four years to kind of get the wage bill down and and start bringing a new squad through, including young players like Hendrick and Will Hughes um, and Mark O'Brien at the time as well. And Cocky's done that in 18 months during a, with all the off-field crap he's had to put up with. So, you know, let's let's be realistic for a second. We're still bottom of the league and we still need to get out of the relegation zone to, to kick on first. And Cocky's partly responsible, of course, for us being bottom of the league. But I think that, Whoever takes over, whether it's mid mid season or at the end of the season, actually is in quite a good position if the club's still in a championship because there's a lot of players, a lot, a few more players out of contract this summer, so there's the opportunity to uh, regenerate the squad further. And it, it, there is the basis of quite a young, good squad. There's a lot of missing pieces, but the basis is there for for someone, the right person to build on. I think the uh, link to Nigel Clough is really important because this Derby team does remind me of that in terms of uh, how functional it is being at the moment. We're trying desperately to keep it tight uh, at one end and then to try and nick a goal at the other. And we, we're not quite doing that uh, in terms of creating enough chances. And that's that's what we're trying to do, just to try and really do the basics and win 1-0 and, and get 0-0s away from home and stuff. And that's that that reminds me very much of the uh, sort of 2010-11 Clough Clough period or maybe 2009-10 Clough period when we were really in the doldrums. So I think we're going back through that. Just looking at Koku and the reason why I think there is such goodwill, you go from him joining and the pre-season he had, you then go to the drink drive incident, you then go to the fact that through January and February, we started to play some really good stuff. The win away at Swansea, the 3-0 against uh, Blackburn uh, in the last game that was uh, played before COVID and then obviously COVID hit. And so 
as that Koku team was just starting to click into gear, we got completely derailed and we came back after lockdown and it's it was still clicked into gear, but we then kind of ran out of steam as the games sort of picked up and we fell away. But I do feel really, really sorry for him the way that so many things have gone against him. And I tweeted out last week that he was dealt a shit hand and I apologize there, there Chris, for the, uh, for the swearing, but he was dealt a shit hand, but he did play it badly at times. And some of the team selections weren't good enough. Some of the performances were really poor and there were still the same mistakes happening this season that were happening at the beginning of last season. That's kind of why I think he did have to go. Uh, and I'm sorry that he did, but, and I wish he'd have been given a little bit more time to see if he can, get out of it but at the same time if we give another month and we're still in this position uh having played the likes of Wickham etc in the next few weeks we'd be in a really 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 desperate situation as it is we're just in a very desperate situation there's still hope for this this club to get out of this mess at the moment yeah so that's the you know on on the field um sort of legacy of Koku if you will but what what do you make of the the change of personnel that that um he has at the end of the day, signed off. I know that there are different people involved in recruitment and that Koku probably said, look, go out and get me a defensive midfielder or go out and get me a winger or whatever. And there are suggestions put to him and he probably says, all right, let's go for him or whatever. And, and I know there's factors in terms of who you can get for what you can afford. But if you look back on the players that came in, so at the start of last season, you had the likes of Bielik coming in, Shinny, although he was probably more of a Lampard signing, uh, Rooney, Patterson, Matt Clark, Kieran Dow, don't forget, Ben Hamer. Uh, and then at the start of this season, you had uh, Juzviak coming in, Tverik, who um, is looking like a questionable signing, Byrne, great signing, Clark back in again, Marshall, Jordan Ibe, um, and then the players who've left include the likes of um, Nick Blackburn, George Thorne, Scott Malone on loan, Mason Bennett, Yosef Zoon. Um, oh, and I haven't mentioned Colin Kazim-Richards, who's come in as well. So what will be your general take on on the, the ins and outs and the recruitment, Kutch, under uh, under Koku's reign? I do think, obviously, Koku has a role in, in a lot of that. Um, but I, I, I think if you go back to particularly the kind of Patterson and, and Dow signings and, and Ben Hamer signings, I don't think they were... Cocky signs. I think well, if they were cocky signs, I think they were kind of third or fourth on the list. Uh, I think Kieran Dow was was a, a sign that everyone thought maybe could do kind of fill the, the Mason Ro- Mason Mount hole, and and he had you know had got some good reviews before he came to us, and it didn't work out, but he then did quite well for Wigan. Um, I think generally the squad has been regenerated in a, in a in a realistic way, in the sense that the wage war has been brought down. They have obviously, obviously they sold Bogle and Lowe for some money, which was much needed. And that helped fund signings such as Juzvek. Um, I think Juzvek and Bielek will prove to be excellent signings as long as Bielek can kind of put this, this injury behind him. I think they'll prove to be absolutely excellent signings. Uh, the, obviously, jury's out on on Jordan Ive and Bobby Duncan. Um, Wayne Rooney wasn't a cocky signing. I think that's something that the club saw as a business opportunity and, and cocky went along with it. I'm sure it had his blessing. So yeah, I feel like it's hard to judge cocky on some of, on some of that transfer activity. So I'm not convinced that it was all kind of very much directed by him. Of course it's signed off by him, but I often sometimes wonder what that really means because he probably don't really have much choice if other people at the club want to bring someone in. So I think the club's in a better shape. It's impossible to compare it to the Lampard squad because our three best players in that squad were on loan and weren't going to stay at Derby. So it's very hard to say, oh, well, you know, we lost Wilson, Mount and Tamori and that's Cocky's fault. That's not Cocky's fault and they were going to be almost impossible to replace those three. So I find it hard to judge Cocky on, on his transfer activity. But I think generally, I know it sounds weird because of the bottom of the league, but I think generally striker, the striking problem excluded and we know Cocky wanted to keep Chris Martin. And I think the squad the squad is in a better shape in terms of it hasn't got too much dead wood in it, which I think is a positive. Hey, it's not all bad though. Jack Marriott's coming back soon. He'll be ready by January. Yeah, because he got injured. So like, well, <laughs> that's not surprising, is it? Like the same old, same old. Welcome back, Jack. I'll leave you with this, um, Tom. Uh, this take on on Koku's reign. Uh, Colin Murray, the, uh, the the broadcaster and DJ, said in his column for a newspaper that under Koku, Derby had lots of foreplay. But no penetration. Um, <laughs> it's quite quite a graphic analogy for a Sunday morning family friendly podcast. Um, I think that's possibly even a bit generous. I think at, at best we at the moment we look like we're having a you know a bit of a fumble with our clothes on. 
and I'm not even sure there's anything more than that. I do not want to picture you having a fumble with clothes on, Chris. <laughs> it's, a, it's a teenage fumble, perhaps. Um, yeah, uh, sounds about sounds about right. We didn't we haven't created enough over the last eighteen months in terms of uh, going forward, uh, but. Really, those things were happening under Lampard as well. We've got to remember that that Lampard team was carried by some outstanding goals from Harry Wilson uh, and, to a lesser extent, Mason Mount. So the the problems with XG and the the good quality chances and touches in the box, that's not a cocky problem. That's a a longer-term derby problem uh, based on whatever's been happening with recruitment and training and and the like uh, over the last sort of two or three years. So... Yep, fair enough analogy and a fair enough uh, summarisation of uh, Koku's reign for me. Who's next then? Who's next going to take up the, uh, I'm not going to say poison chalice, the uh, but certainly a chalice that tastes a bit off, like it's been left in the fridge too long. Um, like it's a taste of poison. <laughs> <laughs> who is going to be Derby County's next manager? I think the, the first and obvious and short answer is that we have absolutely no idea because when you consider the fact that Rafa Benitez is among the favourites, when he's even literally said himself that he's, he doesn't fancy it. That probably speaks volumes about how um, where we are in the process and the fact that the owners are probably having their own conversations, getting their own man in, and we just don't know what their intentions are, who they're speaking to. I know that the group associated with Sheikh Khaled had had conversations, I believe, about getting Benitez back at Newcastle when that was being talked about, but I think that's the only tenuous link that people are connecting with this. There's no way we're getting Benitez, is there? No, I don't think so. And to listen to his... Um, yeah, so he made some comments on BBC Five Live. Uh, I think it's a Euroleague's show, which which is Steve Crossman presents. And, he, and to be honest, it was one question and he kind of batted it away. But it was classic batting it away where he said, no, I don't think so, but you never know, was kind of what he said. So, look, I do not think we're getting Benitez. I don't think we should waste our time. We haven't got time to waste courting Rafa Benitez uh, right now. Guillaume Balagade and also who is part of that uh, that show, which I was listening to, he then replied to a Derby fan, quite mockingly, actually, from Guillaume Balagade, saying, uh, Pacey, not, not in this lifetime will Rafa Benitez manage Derby County. Now, I have a lot of respect for Guillaume Balagade, and I think, you know, we, I think most of us of a certain age grew up watching him on, on Revista de la Liga, um, and, he's, and, he, and he framed himself as the, as the know-all of of Spanish football. Now, he kind of embarrassed himself in the summer about the whole Lionel Messi thing. He got that thing badly wrong. So I kind of take that with a pinch of salt. But uh, I don't think we should be wasting our time going after Rafa Benitez. Um, I think we haven't currently got an ownership. Um, so they need to find someone to keep us up now. And I think they need to revisit the manager situation in the summer. But the, 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 the emergency is now. They need the right person who knows this league to get us out of the relegation zone. That's that's the only thing that is important right now. Yeah, don't worry. I've already screen grabbed that Guillaume Balaguer tweet for when we, yes, uh, so when, when, when we appoint Rafa Benitez in, uh, in 15 years' time. Uh, when <laughs> So egg on his face. Who's, who's lost that one there, Guillaume? Embarrass yourself. Um, Anton, Tom, got two words for you. Your immediate reaction. Big Sam, talk to me. <laughs> it's, to be honest, it's not the worst shout. We need someone with experience, certainly someone who knows the league because it is a bit of a desperate situation you, you can't kind of mess around with a, a rookie manager I don't think at this point and and Big Sam would would definitely fit the bill of, of having experience and, and being being able to to kind of get clubs out of a mess whether we can even attract Big Sam at this point I'm, I'm not totally sure um obviously finances will play a part in who we can get we've had to to pay Koku off and and we're already kind of towing a pretty uh slim line with finances as it is so whether we can afford big sam i'm, I'm not sure and, and that goes for benitez as well even if benitez was keen on the job i think from the names that i've read my, my top choice is is potentially one that would would divide opinion a little bit and, and that's paul cook um, he, he certainly wouldn't demand the, the wages that um, some of the other names would um, would want. He, he's got experience in the league. He, he's got a very good record at some of the clubs that he, he's managed in the past. He, he's got promotion with certainly Portsmouth, Wigan, I, I think Chesterfield as well he got promoted with. He, he was excellent at, at Wigan last year um in kind of fairly similar situation i guess they they were very much struggling um yeah. looking like they were 
were, were destined for the drop and, and they went on that unbelievable run in the second half of the season and it was obviously very unfortunate events that that led to Wigan being relegated and, and him, him being sacked. So I, th- I think he's he's got a lot of potential. He, he's, he's got experience of, of kind of firefighting relegation and he's also got experience of, of promotion as well, granted not from the championship, but he, he's got to get given an opportunity at some point and I think that'll probably be my number one choice at the moment. Tom, what do you reckon to Eddie Howe? Because uh, he's been mentioned as well, um, but the the response on Eddie Howe has often been that uh, oh, he doesn't fancy it up north. Um, you know, would he would he drop down a division? Although he did get Bournemouth relegated, this is someone who, let's not forget, at the peak of his powers at Bournemouth, was being talked about for the England job or the Arsenal job to replace Arsene Wenger, and you don't become bad managers overnight. I guess for him, it's just whether we could convince him, really. But <laughs> let's be honest, Mel Morris could probably sell ice to Eskimos. And I think if it came down to that conversation, I wouldn't um, I wouldn't worry about Eddie Howe being convinced to do it. Him and, you know, him and anyone else aside, are there, have there any names out there that have grabbed you so far? I like the sound of Paul Cook. Uh, Big Sam, I'd have a pint of wine with that one. So that sounds okay. Eddie Howe, again, <laughs> they always play good football. And has had, had a fantastic record of Bournemouth getting them promoted through the leagues and, and doing such a great job to keep them up. I know they were backed by, I think it was Russian money and could obviously spend a bit despite the size of their ground and stuff, but did, did, a, did a fantastic job uh, until obviously getting relegated last year. I've seen that Steve Cooper, the Swansea City manager, is also, I think, third or fourth favourite on some betting site. Um, he's done a great job at Swansea. So again, whether he'd come to Derby, I'm not sure. There seems to be a lot of candidates who you go, yeah, I wouldn't mind that. Uh, the ones I've just listed, for example, and there's probably a few others as well. And it, it seems, I, I don't know I don't know what Derby need, I'll be honest. I don't know what Derby need in order to get us out of there, but we need something. Uh, and whether that's a short-term approach of someone like Sam Allardyce uh, to get them out for this season and then to look to do something different next year. Don't forget, Sam Allardyce has actually retired from f- football management twice. So he's probably not wanting to be a, a long-term project sort of building sort of thing for three or four years so if if he's what we need to get us out of this relegation mess promotion isn't even a talk this year it's getting us out of the relegation mess and then looking towards next season already and that's depressing because it's not even the end of November yet but so I don't know I don't know who we're going to appoint um it's obviously going to be interesting when we finally get taken over if that obviously happens and um I'm actually I'm I'm still worried about what happens when we do uh, get a new manager because there are similarities when you start to look at the Derby season of 2002 and three when we got relegated and Jim Smith was in charge and he got sacked around this sort of time. And then we uh, we had Colin Todd for three three months and I believe Colin Todd was the assistant to Jim Smith. So if we appoint someone like Rossinho, would the same thing happen? And then Gregory came in for the, the final months of the season. It was all a bit of a mess then. So I'm hoping history doesn't repeat itself. That is my biggest fear. Just going to jump in and say that the uh, the relegation season was uh, a one or two. Don't tweet us. Tweet Tom instead. <laughs> uh, Sorry, it's been um, a while. <laughs> yeah, I mean, cut, cut you. You're just going to jump in there. But, you know, look, Jim, Jim Smith was an unfashionable uh, managerial appointment when he came in. So um, look, we need to consider all options here, don't we? Yeah, and no, I'm certainly in the Paul Cook camp. Um, I think Paul Cook is the really obvious choice in the sense that he did, as Anton said, he did a very similar job last year. I know that he was in charge of, of Wigan from the beginning of the season. Obviously, it was part of the reason they were in, in the in the mess there in, to start with in regards to in being the relegation zone. But he went on an incredible run. He's got a couple of players that he already knows well and will know how he works. And and, and Byrne and Marshall are two of our more important players, I'd, I'd say, in, in this current team. I think Paul Cook would be, in normal circumstances, as in, and when I say normal, I mean the current situation, as I've said before, is bizarre with Rooney and Rossinia. The problem with any new manager coming in is what happens to... I think Rossinia will kind of find his place if the if the person wants to keep him on uh, as, his, as a, an assistant or as a coach. The real problem is Wayne Rooney, because if you bring a new man in, does Rooney just, does Rooney just go back to the trenches and become a player? Lots, lots of people think Rooney is very popular in the squad and has a lot of respect from the squad, and that would make sense. So, you know, what happens to Wayne Rooney if a new man comes in and is suddenly in charge and Rooney's just a player again? You know, does is can Rooney be dropped? Is he allowed to be dropped? Is he too expensive to be dropped? So, Paul Cook would be my choice, but I just wonder how you get round this this really awkward situation the club have created for themselves by creating form by putting four managers in charge. Big Sam, I'm. I'm open to, uh, I think you just need someone to get you out of, out of trouble. Look, look at what Neil Warnock has done to a really bang average Millsborough team. You know, completely transformed that team. And I am not, as we all know, 
a Neil Warnock fan. I would, I don't think I'd want them at the club. But at this point, it has to be someone like that who's just going to walk in and just sort it out. And I think it might even, I know it's hard to appoint someone on a short-term contract nowadays because managers want to have that security and, and, and rightly so, it's their, it's their livelihood. But you need someone to get us out of this and then if there's if there's new owners and, and and new money, then they can they can revisit in the summer. Paul Cook for me would be my my favourite option for the situation we're currently in, but I don't know I don't know the squad dynamics, how that works with a, a certain Wayne Rooney still hanging around. Maybe it's that it is that short term appointment and you um you know, you, you have the payoff of you know, a massive survival bonus or I don't know, something like that. But I, I think there's yeah. maybe a deal to be done there. Well, we're gonna wrap it up for this podcast uh coach you've got a bit of trivia for us haven't you come on let's let's do something enjoyable on this podcast for uh, for this episode yeah no i have chaps i got uh, gonna go back to one we haven't done for a while which is a guest year 11 i think the reason i'm gonna host the quiz as well today is as you all know i am unbeaten in derby county trivia in in this season so i just thought i'd just defend that while there's three of you on the line <laughs> maybe I'd, I'd just take the host more luck than judgment one. but but carry on well yeah a lot a lot of skill and um <laughs> yeah this you know we're in we're in bad times and i thought we could go one of two ways with this quiz we could either choose a, a great moment in our history of you know of our history that we remember of the last 25 years or find another really really bad time and i went for the latter and i went for i think it was phil brown's last league game in charge of derby county do you know what that was boys anyone remember what, what game that was was it coventry city we lost it was six, coventry city six, six derby county one. Oh wow so if you think this season's wow. bad then, uh, you know, Coventry boss Nick, Mickey Adams was in charge that day. Dennis Wise was on the pitch and apparently should have been sent off. And that was Phil Brown's excuse. He thought the turning goal, the turning point of the game was a Dennis Wise goal, which was the third goal of the six. <laughs> that was the turning point, apparently. Anyway, uh, so yeah, 6-1 to Coventry City on 21st of January, 2006. You're allowed to get one wrong answer as a yellow card uh, before getting knocked out. If you get if you get two wrong answers, uh, substitutes that came onto the pitch do count as as playing, but not unused subs. So anyone from the Coventry City or Derby County team that featured in uh, Coventry City Six, Derby County One, Anton. I think at that point, Giles Barnes was probably a regular. So I'll go for Giles Barnes. Charles Barnes is incorrect. Yellow card. Oh. Ouch. Not even on the bench. Chris. Firstly, this is hard. This is tricky. <laughs> it, is. Um, it is. This is brutal. A lot of turnover in the squad around It's basically season. half of the George Birdie squad and half of the Billy Davis squad. That's it, yeah. So I'm trying to think of players who were definitely in both of those squads. And I am going to say Paul Pesky Salido. Paul Pesky Salido is correct. Yes, stay in the game, Tom. Count. He was the uh, Derby goal scorer that day, I think. He was, yeah, in the second in the second t- minute. Wow. T- took the lead, yeah. That, they were the good old days, Cutch. I don't know why you're saying this is so bad. We scored goals. <laughs> yeah, too bad. I'm going to go for the, I think it's Danish midfielder, Morten Biscard. Morten Biscard. He did. He came off the bench in the 66th <sighs> minute after we were 4-1 down. <laughs> uh, okay, and Anton, back to you. I don't know if this is risky, but I'll go for it anyway. The other winger was probably Tommy Smith. Tommy Smith is correct. Yes, yeah, stayed in the game. Chris Parsons. Tommy Smith. I'm going to say Derby County club ambassador, Michael Johnson. Michael Johnson is correct. Yep, yeah, played the whole game at centre-back. A couple of interesting names on the Coventry City team as well, apart from Dennis Wise, Tom. I don't know much about Coventry City, Cut, so I'm going to leave <laughs> that one well alone. I'm struggling enough with the Derby team. Uh, I'm going to take a guess at uh, former Carlisle United left-back, Paul Burratine. You know what? There was a left-back playing... Oh, it wasn't Paul Boateng. It wasn't Paul Boateng. He wasn't on the bench either. As a yellow card for Tom, back to Anton. I think I'm going to go for goalkeeper because it's it's one of two, I think. So I'm going to go for Lee Camp. Oh, Campo. Ivan Campo, Lee Camp. Yep, correct. Lovely. Chris. Some big names in this team. It actually wasn't as bad a team as it just had. Yeah, it wasn't actually as bad a team as I thought it was. Um, Idiarquez. Idiarquez is right, yeah. A good midfield partner as well, Tom. Just wondering whether we've got the hard man in central midfield still at this point, Adam Boulder. You could have gone for, well, yeah, okay. Adam Boulder did play, came on the 75th minute. Oh, I love a substitute me. (laughs) Anton. You've you've reminded me of someone else. I thought thought as you were saying hard man, you were going to go for someone else, and that's Seth Johnson. Adam Boulder came on for Seth Johnson. Very good, very good. 
All right, Chris. I know, so I feel like I take a bit of a gamble here with this one. And I'm going to say Mo Konjic. That is a gamble. Mo Konjic did not play in this match or, or he did not feature on the bench either. All right, yellow card. You get the yellow cards. a sudden death now, boys. Tom? I'm desperately trying to think of who the other centre-back partner would have been because I had Konjic at the back of my mind, but I, I do think it was a bit earlier that he was playing. And I think he used to play for Coventry. Could our right-back have been Jeff Kenner? You know what? Jeff Kenner did play. He did oh. play. Well done. You boys have done very well. This has gone on a lot longer than I thought. Anton? So, so we've done, we've got the front three. We've got the midfield, centre midfielders. I'm going to go for Lewin Nyatanga. Do, do, do. Lewin Nyatanga did play. Yes, very good. Yes. Very good. Bloody hell, no boys. I thought is... it was way too early for Nyatanga. <laughs> That's a great I shout, Anton. I love five years. I thought Anton's about five years out on that one. It's incredible. I'm going to go with Mark Edworthy. Mark Edworthy is correct. Oh, I imagine, oh, I, imagine, I, imagine I imagine right back on a day. Yep. I'm I'm a bit I'm struggling for derby players, so I'm going to take a bit of a gamble. And there's a legend of Coventry City. Yeah. I'm going to name here Richard Shaw. Richard Shaw is correct. <sighs> what? Shut the front door. Unbelievable. That's couple, you know what? There are a couple of Coventry legends in this team. I'll say that. <laughs> um, I'm going to. I'm pretty sure this is wrong, but it's the only name that's springing to mind. Um, I'm pretty sure I'm way out and I don't think he was playing in the championship, but I'm going to go for someone who definitely played for Coventry um, a bit before this, and that's Dion Dublin. <laughs> <laughs> that is literally like 11 years before this, Anton. That was like 94, 95 or something. I didn't brush up on my Coventry up, early 2000s up, trivia. Up, up front with Darren Huckabee back in the day. <laughs> no. Uh, Anton, okay. you're out. That's a red. That's a. That's a. It's a second yellow. It could have been a straight red. To be fair, but <laughs> it's a second yellow. Chris, stay in the game. I'm gonna have to say, Ryan Smith. Ryan Smith is incorrect. Yeah, yeah out. It's a season after. Tom, it? can but, you pick it out? Can you pull it out of the bag? There's, there's a few names I'm thinking, and I'm just wondering whether we maybe tried to play a back five that day, and it, it might have been like a, a left back, left wing back kind of thing. I'm debating between two names. One is a, a Kutch. Love, love, you love him, Kutch. And the other one is, a, I think he came through the academy. But uh, I'm going to go for the one that you love. I'm going to say Jamie Vincent. Yeah, I do uh, I do love Jamie Vincent, but he didn't play. He did uh, not play that day. I think, I don't think, he, was, he wasn't around. He wasn't around in that squad that season. All right, you can all get one more go then. Yeah, let's just call it a draw, I think, and have a rollover <laughs> next week. Okay, well, I'll, t- I'll give you a couple of names that you missed. Uh, from the Coventry City side, I think you could have, someone could have pulled out uh, Gary McSheffery. Could have pulled oh, him out. Oh, yeah, the classic. Yeah, okay, and, yeah. and the one that played Adebola as well. Yeah. And the oh, one yeah. that played for Coventry and did score that day, I believe. No, he didn't. He did score two that day. was Stern John as wow. well. Yeah. Now, the Derby players you were missing was Andrew Davis, who came off the bench, the Borough guy on oh, loan, yeah. centre-back. Lee Holmes. Oh, oh, classic. And Danny Graham. Wow. Yeah, I'm fine. I'm, I'm <laughs> not getting those. I've got yeah, Lee Holmes yeah. and Danny Graham both started the match. So, yeah, there was... Uh, a, 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 you, you boys did very, very well. So, honourable draw. You, you each get no points. Congratulations. There we go. Wow. Uh, good luck with the edit on that one, Kutch. Um, you're going to be here all night. Well, we're going to wrap it up there for that podcast. Thanks ever so much for listening. Sticking with us, if you're, st- <laughs> if you're still listening at this point. We do appreciate it. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on social, on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at Steve Bloomer Pod. We're back in a couple of weeks. I don't even know what to say anymore. Uh, maybe we'll have scored. Maybe we'll have had a shot on target. Maybe we'll have a new manager. Maybe we'll have new owners. Maybe we'll be off the bottom of the championship. But until then, thank you. Thank you.